Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, my name's Tom M. Bowden, and this is uh, the first episode of what I'm calling Tell Me About Your Tech Job. Um, this little podcast that's going along with our class this semester, iTech 350 at Southern Illinois University. So this, uh, this little um, project is going to be talking to some experts, some people that we know who are friends of the iTech program, which is information technology program here at SIU alumni. Um, folks in the region, folks out of the region, we're going to ask them what they do and how they got there and tell us and give us some advice and share some some stories and some experience. So that's that's what we're doing today with our first guest. And the first guest is Matthew Nicklin. Um, Matthew or Matt, uh, I've known for eight, nine years probably now. Um, yep. And he was one of our students and then graduated and moved on. So um, we'll go ahead and, and get started. And I guess, Matt, why don't you just tell us a little bit, um, a little bit about yourself to get us started? Sure. You, you brought back some memories. It's been, I've been here almost seven years now. It's hard to believe time flies. Uh, so I, uh, I, I used to work for a couple of different MSPs, went to work for a, a larger outfit after that and, and provided. Tell us, oh, Emma, tell us MSP. Sorry, managed service provider. So a small computer shop that takes care of networks uh, for you know, uh, businesses, that sort of thing, small businesses. Here in Southern Illinois, correct? In Southern Illinois. Well, I worked okay. for one in West Frankfurt, one in Pinckneyville, yes. Okay. Uh, after that, I went to work for a larger outfit in Carbondale, and they uh, provided support for MedQuist medical transcription software. So they had a little niche and I ended up staying there for 10 and a half years. Uh, but uh, that's where I was working at uh, while I was attending SIU. Um, don't do like I did. I recommend you get your degree uh, early, immediately after high school. Don't, uh, don't try to make it off of certifications alone. That's my advice. Um, I did that for a number of years, and you can certainly make a decent living doing that, but things will really change for you in your favor after you complete that bachelor's degree. A lot of, a lot of employers require that. So um, I highly encourage you to, to complete your degree. Um, awesome. Go ahead. So, so you've got your start um, kind of right, right outside of high school, start working in technology. Have you always been interested in technology? I have, yep. Uh, so our high school at West Frankfurt uh, had a really good electronics instructor and a really good electronics program. And uh, I, I fell in love with uh, computers and electronics at that time. And I, I originally started off with the uh, degree in electronics because we didn't have IT degrees then, and it was the late 90s. Uh, and um, I, I was fortunate enough to get employed by a local computer shop there in my hometown. So that's how okay. I got started. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So, so you have, you're here from, you're from Southern Illinois, uh, yeah. worked uh, various different opportunities, different places, tech work, support businesses, home users, that type of thing, get moved up to a larger outfit out of Carbondale and then decided that you wanted to pursue your bachelor's degree to go back to school at, uh, you know, a non-traditional age, somewhere in your thirties, I'm guessing. Yep. And uh, you you chose the IST program here at SIU, which is how I come, came to know you. Um, anything you want to say about uh, your schooling, um, things you were doing before you graduated, anything that you'd advise students before we start talking about what you've done since graduating our program? 
Sure, absolutely. Security dogs, you know what I'm going to say. Okay, so uh, the security dogs. Yeah. We haven't talked much about this yet in this class. You go ahead, tell us all oh, you can. I was going to say, uh, security dogs is a, um, uh, an uh, RSO that meets once a week. And ultimately, at least eight members will actively compete, and 11 members will be on the team, and they'll compete compete in what's called the Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition, uh, which we are able to compete in remotely. Now, hopefully, we'll get some other competitions going this year with the security dogs, but uh, currently the CCDC is definitely on the list. Uh, but uh, what, what you gain from that is real-world practical knowledge uh, as far as securing systems, administering systems, and you also get a little bit of a feel for what things are like in the real world as far as completing documentation or fulfilling requests that come to you in the form of injects. Uh, but the, the CCDC competition itself, what you do is your, your team of eight, they try to defend a system that is already compromised uh, and try to keep the, the bad guys out, the red team out, um, red team being the attackers, blue team being what the uh, defenders are. And uh, in, in the process of securing their system and trying to keep the, the attackers out, they also have to answer these injects that I, I spoke of earlier. And the injects will ask you to complete different tasks. Um, but, you know, it's really... Being involved in that, it requires some uh, substantial amount of time uh, to learn the systems and, and really um, you know, fully understand what you're trying to defend against and, and, and how to administer those. So in the process of doing that, you end up understanding those operating systems a lot better. I highly recommend security dogs. Excellent. So the security dogs, uh, just to recap, guys, is uh, formally, officially SIU Security Dogs RSO, Registered Student Organization. And so SIU has tons of RSOs that are uh, available for students to participate in throughout the year with different kind of um, different goals or themes. Um, you know, there's an equestrian club, there's scuba diving, I think, there's the cybersecurity team, the security dogs, there's rock climbing, there's sailboating and all sorts of different things. So um, many times when we have speakers, they will... Um, talk, uh, especially if they're from from our program, about some of these RSOs that are helping help them kind of learn more outside of the classroom um, and prepare for the, the the tech industry and the tech career. So the Secure Dogs is one of the great ones. Um, I've been involved in that in the past. Um, now, Matthew, you are one of the the top uh, the top dogs, the faculty advisors for this group. Um, so you've 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 got to use your experience that you've had as a team member because you were a team member for one or two years uh no just one year just right. one year and you mm -hmm. actually got to compete and you kind of filled in as the project manager role right right so right. so kind of directing all the airplanes to the different landing strips uh throughout the competition making sure people are doing their work and so kind of the kind of the the person that they unofficially charge with making sure that things get done um so so good good thing to 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 point out and to mention and i hope you all hear that throughout this semester more kind of hey don't just do school think about the other opportunities because you're coming to school you're doing school work but there's a lot of things you can learn outside the classroom 
a lot of stuff you can get involved with, which is, which is pretty neat. Um, so you've, you've, you've gotten up to the point where you're an IST student and uh, competed with the security dogs team, uh, took classes and graduated. And yep. so after you graduated here from SIU, which I think you said was 2016, is that right? 15. 2015. So mm, graduated yes. 2015. What happened after that? Tell us about your tech job. Yeah. So I, I bumped into a guy. I, I was known for always carrying around some kind of tech related book and studying for some certification or whatnot. And I would commonly take these to my children's baseball games. And a guy approached me one night and he said, hey, he goes, uh, what are you reading about? And I told him, he said, well, every time I see you, you're carrying around a book. And I was like, yeah. And, and um, I hadn't quite graduated yet. And he said, well, he goes, you ought to come work for me. And he told me about the job here at Southern Illinois Power Cooperative. Now, um, I didn't fully have the job at that point. I had to come in and interview for it. Uh, there was a few people here and I ended up uh, getting the job. So I didn't get to start until August, even though I believe I was officially hired in June, uh, shortly after graduation. Uh, but a bachelor's degree was required and my involvement in security dogs was of course a plus since this position is cybersecurity specialist. Uh, now, once I got here, um, what I found out was I was I was basically the first person for this position. It was a new position, and my job was to create a cybersecurity and compliance program for the SCADA system, which is the Supervisory Control and Data Acquisition System. Uh, so what I deal with is not traditional IT information technology, it is OT or operational technology. Uh, the equipment that, that I work with still runs Windows or Linux or whatever, and I still work with Cisco devices, that sort of thing, but it's in an OT type environment where uh, instead of having a lot of end users, I'm actually controlling a lot of devices out in the field uh, at substations. and. These devices in turn will monitor the, the voltages and stuff in the, in the substations and allow the system operators back here at the control center to control those devices. Tell, tell us real quick, you, yeah. you got your first job and uh, it's awesome when people step out into the career field and get something really cool like you did just right off the bat. Um, and we'll talk to other people this semester in this class, a couple I could think of right now who took a, you know, a couple different, you know, stepping stones before they got to where they wanted to end up. But, but you got hired on by SIPC. So yes. um, those of us who aren't local to this area, uh, what does SIPC, Southern Illinois Power Cooperative, what do they do? Yeah, so we're a generation and transmission utility. <clears throat> the way the power grid works is you have uh, organizations that generate power, of course, be it via fossil fuel or renewable resources. And in addition to that, once that power is generated, you have to have a transmission company, which is kind of like the trucking company, deliver the product to substations. And then from those substations, they then are passed on to what they call distribution uh, providers, which are what you're probably familiar with in your local neighborhood. Now, that's who you get your bill from. That's who you get your bill from. The distribution providers have substations as well, uh, but they're typically not as large. You can usually spot a transmission substation because they will typically have a large antenna by them for a microwave signal. 
That's not always the case, but it's usually the case. Okay. Um, so for, for Southern Illinois, you're at one of the places that helps get the energy from the energy generation facilities to the companies like Ameren or Egyptian who are selling that energy and providing it to the homes and the residences and, and the commercial facilities and that type of thing. Yes, uh, I work for a, um, a power cooperative. So we are basically owned by the end customer, such as you. Uh, what, how, the, how it works is the end user in a power cooperative owns uh, the distribution cooperative, which would be South, you know, you're Egyptian, I'm Egyptian, which would be Egyptian electric for you. And the distribution cooperatives then own the generation and transmission cooperative, which is who I work for, Southern Illinois Power Cooperative. So we have uh, coal generation, as well as natural gas generation. And uh, we, we also have some, some solar uh, installations that are on our transmission lines, but we don't actually own the generation source. Okay. Yep. So, so the, the, the company has IT stuff, like generally what people use mm -hmm. to check their email and pay invoices and surf the web so that they can play you know, whatever the, the cool game of the day is when they're supposed to be doing work, right? Or checking their Instagram or Facebook or right. whatever, right? But but you said a term earlier that I think we're going to hear a lot, and I know I've been hearing a lot about it in, in the field, uh, OT, operational technology. So so IT, we usually think of as the stuff I just mentioned, our, our local computers that you, you use at your desk, the printers, the servers that you know, hold your, your company's shared documents and your email and things like that. But the operational technology is what makes the, the business function and do what it primarily does, which is serve power to the, to, to the organizations that send it to our, the end users. And, and so you mentioned those substations and those substations are filled with OT and you've got plant stuff that you work with that's filled with OT and, and the OT is different from the IT and, and maybe just tell us a little bit more about that. What is different from what is operational technology versus informational technology, both what it looks like and feels like in terms of the physical hardware and then kind of the job duties and segregation from traditional IT. Sure. Um, I think most of you are familiar with traditional IT. So OT is, like I said, the, the use of what you would see in a normal traditional IT environment to interact with hardware devices out in the field, such as RTUs, which are remote terminal units. Now, I work with the SCADA side, the supervisory control and data acquisition side. Now, SCADA systems cover a large geographical area. Uh, for example, ours covers most of the lower, I would say third or so of Southern Illinois. Uh, like I said, we use microwave. We also use OPGW, which is optical ground wire, which the ground wire on the power line. We actually have a tube down the center with fiber optic cables coming out. Oh, cool. Sign on in. Um, so we may, we may use microwave to a site and then drop out to OPGW for a while, or we may run OPGW straight from here out to a, a site. Uh, but out in the substations, there's these little control buildings that are climate controlled. He's got some, and they some are toys. Full of devices. 
like this guy. This is actually a really ancient one, but this okay. is an RTU. And you can see all the terminals on the back for controlling devices. And, okay, and so those are like screw type terminals for hooking yeah. up to power, 12 volt yeah. power, 48 volt power, something like that. Yep, and this is, um, it's all serial communication. Now, they will use IP as well, but it's usually just like serial communication uh, encapsulated in IP. Um, but that, that data all comes back to my SCADA system that I take care of. And like I said, we either collect like meters, meter data, or we uh, or we control devices out in the field, or that sort of thing. Um, it's just used for different different things out, out in the substations. Okay. Um, similar to to my OT environment, the the plants, the gas turbines, and the and the coal generation use what they call a DCS or distributed control system. DCS systems operate very quickly uh, because everything is in close proximity and the response times are, are much, much faster. As you can imagine with SCADA, with having stuff spread out, with different communications, uh, different communication media, we won't always get back that information or send that control out in real time per se. It may, it may take a couple tries. Uh, does that make sense? It's not always perfect. Right, so you're, yeah. dealing, you're dealing with things like microwave antennas that are mm -hmm. located in sometimes rural environments where all of a sudden one day you've got a tree limb that's blown in an area that didn't before. And right. so your, your, your transmission qualities and your, your latency and your ability to communicate with the network back at these different remote, you know, um, oh, what did you just, substations, substations, um, yes. substations vary. Right. So, so that could be slow. But the stuff that is the the operational technology that's in the the generating facilities, it's got to be quick. It's right. got to be able to do things um, at a moment's notice. So, like if there's an alarm that triggers on a on a gas generation turbine and it says, "Hey, there's a problem," you don't want that sitting there waiting to get connected back to to say that alarm, send that alarm up to headquarters and have that headquarters machine system say, "Okay, shut down." Yeah. Um, you don't want that happening over microwave that's got a tree that that fell there. So you need something um, a little more uh, real time is what you're telling us in right. the right. in the the different uh, operational facilities. Right. And I, I, um, I forgot what I was going to say now. So there's a different there's a different expectation <laughs> of of like quality of service for your remote communication to these these substations substations versus uh the the stuff that's actually generating the power the the control units right. and right yeah it, the SCADA SCADA is typically a lot slower and and SCADA is used not only for power it's used to control uh water facilities uh sewage treatment facilities gas pipelines so a lot of you probably heard about the the gas pipeline attack attack that happened down in the southeastern United States that yep. affected the SCADA system indirectly which I don't know if I fully believe yet, but okay. uh, because their IT, IT system was affected, they shut their SCADA system down and, and shut that gas pipeline down. Um, but you know that's the thing with SCADA that's used for critical infrastructure, such as power, water. We are facing nation state uh, attackers a lot of the time. Uh, we're, we're a target for uh, military operations, that sort of thing. So. Um, the the threat is definitely out there and and well funded so uh, and 
and I guess one thing to clarify, when when we say the term SCADA, SCADA is kind of a umbrella term that yes. that that is used, and it doesn't necessarily imply a specific type of hardware, software, protocol, or network. It's just a term that's used for these devices and the networks that are used for supervisory and control data acquisition, like with, like you said, like with your remote mm -hmm. sites and devices out in the field. Um, so, so not, not definitely, you know, SCADA is not like the brand of stuff you buy. It's a, it's, no. an, it's an umbrella overall term for what you work with. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's lots of different SCADA manufacturers out there and it's, it's typically it's software and hardware combined. Um, okay. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the SCADA manufacturers that have the software, they'll have a few proprietary hardware devices, which I've always suspected are not proprietary in reality. They just have a proprietary brand on them. Okay. Yeah, that sort of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. So you're 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 dealing with information technology. A lot of times they're x86 or computers or mm -hmm. or 64-bit computers that are hooked to special things like, um, like, like meters that'll help you read voltages and amperages on transmission lines, right? So it's a regular right. computer, Windows, Linux, some special software that the the you know the, the the vendor has created, and then a special hardware device that maybe links up with with your your stuff that you need to monitor your transmission facilities and your links and things like that. So. Um, and, and and that's a that's a really good point I think to mention is you may see that there is a device that is on your substation and it looks just like a Dell computer it might say Dell on the front it might say like Power Edge or Optiplex mm -hmm. or something and for all intents and purposes it's an Optiplex except for when you power it on it's now got some sort of super specially made you know, tweaked version of Linux on there that is made and controlled and under the, you know, direct um, sort of oversight of whoever you buy the stuff from. And right. so they've, they've changed it from being a Windows or Linux server to a specialized machine that they tell you, you can't do these updates. We're going to help you run these patches. You can't control this machine. It's ours and we have to you know, you have to manage it in the way that we see fit. And so a lot of times there's these kind of, uh, um, you know, locked down versions of what you normally would see on a computing system or, 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 or server and, and you kind of are stuck working with them and beholden to what they tell you to do. You can figure out what they did, though. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, I, I replaced every server we have here. Uh, okay. without, without the SCADA vendor. And yeah, they were kind of dumbfounded, but it's it's not that it's not as complicated as they make it out to be. I think what what you're going to find is if anybody who has an IT background or computer science background gets involved with OT, OT has been predominantly dominated by uh, electrical engineers, which I'm not trying to knock them, but they're not IT people. They don't sure. have our mind, they don't have our mindset. And it's very easy for an IT person to come in and dance around and figure out everything they've done to the operating system to make it do what it does. Um, it's not that complicated. Uh, we, we figured it out, me and an, another guy that we hire in from Northbridge, uh, he comes in four days a month to help me do updates. Uh, but the two of us put our heads together and went through the operating system and figured it out. Uh, yeah, yeah, so you, you can figure it out. It's not like they're 
rewriting the the code or anything you know it's it's still it's still windows or still linux right yeah but but they may have some sort of vendor support agreements or something that you've entered in so that you're not maybe maybe they you know that's and that's that's how they make a lot of money you know a lot of companies you know these vendors that have decided hey i'm going to make a specialized remote uh, terminal unit for people to monitor their substations and they just take some hardware that they learned about in the old days that plugs into the you know to the transmission lines or or the monitoring ports out there and then they make a windows computer to connect to it and they slap their own software on it and then they charge you a million dollars instead of you know 1500 yeah i probably i probably saved 150,000 dollars i would say easy by doing that work myself and with the operational technology i know i've seen in certain niche areas that that there is a a, a desire for there to be open source operational technology platforms like yeah. like one of the things that I, I think of is you know you see these digital signs like if you think of when you go to the airport and you see all those signs that are displaying arrivals and departures and those types of things you know those are all being controlled by some sort of centralized device that shoots out that information to them as little as little end units for via the network and and i know i've seen open source platforms to kind of do that thing so people can buy their own hardware and, and implement it themselves and not be stuck you know paying the the digital signage vendors you know five times what they what you would pay if you did it yourself with open so- software um have you seen anything like that in in kind of the oh. industrial area open open source platforms sure absolutely there are some open source uh SCADA systems one of them that's real common is called open SCADA. uh you can download it and play with it at home um you can linux. Get little, it's linux based yes and you can get little inexpensive plc controllers uh to play with and and, and work with and and i've done that just to get a better understanding of the industrial protocols that are used uh, such as DNP or ICCP, um, it, it is it by working with that. I'm not working with our live system, of course, and it helps me kind of better understand what's going on. Which the protocols used in industrial environments, again, are stupid simple once you get in them. Uh, it's it's all about just turning bits off and on. It's it's very simple. Okay, so yeah. so we're, when when we think of networking, everything today that you guys for the most part, learn about is all running on a TCP IP network with Ethernet or Wi-Fi. Yeah. And and so you're telling us a little bit about um, some some different types of network protocols that maybe not maybe don't even use TCP IP, maybe um, just use some sort of loads, low speed copper connection over serial or something like that. Um, not always the, the most cutting edge or up to date communications technology, but it's stuff that maybe has been out in the you know, industrial control system, um, SCADA type environment for a long time. And, and, and if it works, why would we go massively change it to, to upgrade if things are running along for per- perfectly fine? And yeah, and that's, that's been the problem with industrial control systems is that they were used with these archaic protocols that were made to operate over serial uh, connections and they weren't necessarily provided any kind of security or designed with a security mindset. So 
what you see a lot of is that we've taken those same old protocols and we've encapsulated them with TCP IP or added protocols on, on, onto them to provide security. So that's, that's what's going on behind the scenes. And, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, the OT or the ICS and SCADA stuff a lot of times has been sort of developed in the realm of the electrical engineers and, right. and electrical engineers historically from, from everything I know and remember um, when I've, when I've talked to people and learned is they're not, they're not learning about software security. You know, they're learning about, you know, uh, how, how the, the logic gates work and things like that at the microprocessor level. So um maybe really good at what they do but one of the problems i think that industrial um and and utility uh organizations see is kind of this rush to make everything online and accessible by the people who work there or even the customers and when you're doing that to some sort of antiquated system using old protocols that like you said didn't have security in mind when they were created can make for a little bit of a headache yeah, and I, I, I kind of, I'll, I'll dive a little deeper on that. I don't want to bore you guys to death, but um, I'm researching this stuff a lot. You know, a lot of people don't understand that we generate just enough electricity and deliver just enough electricity as being, as is being used at that very second in time. So if you produce too much, you melt lines off the pole. If you don't deliver enough, we have brownouts, okay? So I want you to think about that on a national scale, that we're producing just enough electricity every second. All these different generators, all these different transmission companies, we're all adjusting power flows to make sure we have just the right amount of power. Now, Southern Illinois, those of you who are familiar with Southern Illinois will know that we're not a massive community. We don't have any real large loads around here outside of coal mines and factories. But we also have a really busy interstate out here, Interstate 57. And what do you see being changed right now? the vehicle industry, right? The automotive industry. We are electrifying the automotive in industry. So I-57 has all this traffic running up and down it. And those cars are gonna start pulling off of the road and wanting to charge their battery in their car. Mm -hmm. Well, now we have this really large load in Marion, Illinois that didn't exist before. Uh, and, and you're gonna see that on a national scale that these, the, the loads, the, the, the high load areas that we currently have today are going to change just because of the electrification of the auto industry. Um, and then in addition to that, we have consumers who are mounting solar power or wind power units at their homes. So they're no longer consumers, they're producers and consumers, or as we refer to them as prosumers. So all that information needs to get back from them. So what we do to do that is we install what we call a smart meter, which provides uh, information back to the distribution utility that allows them to also sell their, their energy, to allow that prosumer to sell their energy. And then we're also going to end up in situations that's kind of like, why would we try to bring that electricity all the way back to a central spot if the neighbor needs it and we just push it over and sell it to the neighbor, right? So now you have prosumer to consumer or prosumer to prosumer, prosumer trading going on, which may involve blockchain in the future. But I don't want to, I don't want to scatter your brain, but IT is going to have a major role in the future of the power industry. It's, it's, it's evolving right now. Um, we, we have a problem with um, generation right now because we have shut down so many fossil fuel generation units in favor of, of renewables, which is, which is all good, but renewables are not reliable. That's what you have to understand is we're at the mercy of the wind, we're at the mercy of the sun. 
where fossil fuel generation, we flip a switch. We say, turn that up, make it go faster, right? We can't do that with renewables. Um, can't can't so, turn the sun up. Can't turn the sun up. Some of the other things that may happen in the future, uh, some really cool stuff that's being discussed and, and will probably happen is, say you have a, 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 a Tesla or something at your house and you've got it figured out where you only need 50% of your battery to get you through the day. Well, you can tell the power company that, hey, I only need a 50% charge. Anything over that, if you want it, you can have it. So the power utility, if they need it, they'll pull the power off of that battery, sell it back to the grid, and you get a kickback from it. So there's, there's little cool things going like that that we're going to have to do in the future to compensate for this loss of fossil fuel generation and, and this loss of control that we currently enjoy in favor for these renewables so we can save our air quality, right? So um, that's that's kind of the shift that we're seeing. And, and as you can imagine, cybersecurity and IT is 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 going to be majorly uh, involved. It's going to right. be crazy. Yeah. Because yeah. because now you're talking, you know, every house in a, you know, in a particular um, zone that's that's serviced by whatever generating company or, or, or supply company, they want to be able to talk to all of their consu- uh, customers or prosumers uh, energy uh, meter devices so that they know what's going on and they can do things like turn stuff up and down, um, help tweak things with energy usage locally if the customer agrees to it. Like you were saying, selling back some of that excess battery stored in the Tesla, you know, because they don't need it all. All right. that is going to have to require a level of intelligence for the operational technology infrastructure we've not seen before. And uh, I, it, like like you just mentioned, cybersecurity and privacy are going to be huge there. You know, yeah. you, you've got somebody at home who uh, maybe is on some sort of medical treatment um, that uh, uh, needs a device running constantly, right? And, and we can't risk that somebody shuts down your, you know, their neighbor's power at the meter because they were mad at them because their dogs were up barking late or something. So um, lots of, lots of cybersecurity um, that will, that will come into play. Now, Matt's sharing with us guys. Do you see his screen? Can you see this? Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Um, Power typically sells for around 20 to $30 a megawatt. As you can see right now, because of the high temperatures, look at these prices. Oh, I think we've got a different. I just see the Zoom. Oh, really? Um, maybe it's because I don't have that tab in that window, or maybe I shared the wrong one. Yeah, I think you shared the wrong one. Sorry. The the promotional meeting interactivity Zoom page is what we're seeing. Yeah, you don't want that. Nah. All right. See it now. There we go. Perfect. So power usually sells for twenty to thirty dollars a megawatt hour. Look at these prices today. Look at that, $248. Here we okay. are. There's SIPC at 203. It's crazy. And uh, you know, this we're seeing this earlier in the year than we used to. And, and the reason is, is because we have lost so much generation uh, because all these fossil fuel generation facilities are, are shutting down. So, you know, you hear, or if you live in this area, you have heard Amron come across on the phone or, or on the phone on the radio and say, hey. You know, rates are probably going to go up this year. Well, that has to do with two different things. Uh, the one thing is, is that we don't have enough generation. So generation scarce, right? So it's going to it's going to bring more uh, or, or a higher do- dollar value for that generation. 
The other thing that happened was we had a capacity auction that was normally going for, let's say around 20 to $30 that hit close to 300. So capacity is the, is the ability to service a load. Um, and that has also increased again, because we've closed generation. We, we, we only have so many transmission lines. If you if you live in this Southern Illinois area and you've, you've noticed at all that Ameren has been going around and upgrading their transmission lines, what they're doing is they're preparing for this because we're gonna have to bring generation in from outside of Illinois because Illinois shut so many fossil fuel generation facilities down. Um, so, you know, all this is going to add up, again, electrification of the auto industry. So we're increasing load, we're, we're decreasing generation. It's just, uh, it's gonna catch up with us and we're gonna have to make some changes. And and right now we've also got this heat wave, which I'm sure is stressing the- Oh, yeah. The, yeah, that's what this is all about. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. Yeah, my air conditioning's on at my house. I'll tell you that. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie or try to hide that fact. Yeah, we're running ours. So. All right. Um. Cool. So so let's. Uh. This has been really interesting. We've learned a lot about, uh, the, kind of the industry. Tell us, I guess, um, more about what you do, day to day, because a lot of it is involved in a, a term you mentioned earlier, compliance. Yes. Um, tell us, tell us about that, because that's a career area that a lot of people don't know exists in IT, and it's huge across so many different industries. Right. Right. Yeah. Power is just one of many. I mean, medical, you name it. Um, so, what is what is compliance? What does that mean? Yeah. What what it is is there is a established standard for our industry, and we have to comply with their demands or their requirements. And the way that they enforce that is they have an audit and we usually get audited every three years here. Um, so the compliance standard that we comply with is the NERC SIP, which stands for the North American Electric Reliability Corporation Critical Infrastructure Protection Standard. And they have a set of 14 different standards I can't tell you how many requirements. I'm thinking it's somewhere in the 70s by the time you get through all of them uh, that we have to, to meet. And some of those requirements are annual requirements, some are quarterly, some are every day. Uh, it just depends on what it is. But the requirements are basically like um, users have to have a background check and it has to meet this certain criteria. And users have to have training every year and they have to receive quarterly training uh, for like cybersecurity awareness type training. Uh, other things are, you know, we have to know, or we have to document every single port and service on all of our machines. We have to have justification form and a citation uh, for a, a source saying from the manufacturer saying that, that that needs to be open, that service needs to be open, that port needs, or that service needs to be running or that port needs to be open. Um, other things are we have to have a firewall in place. We have to use encryption to go between control centers. Um, there's just various things, physical control system. Uh, okay. We have to log users. We have to have central logging. Uh, but so that, that eats up probably, I'm going to say 70 to 75% of my workload is just compliance, writing policies, managing policies, um, 
you know, modifying them as, as new requirements come out. I've got a brand new standard that's coming out now that it goes into effect in July 1. And I admit that I'm still finishing up the policy for it. So, so you're writing it that has to, you're yeah. writing, you're writing your local policy for the group right. of people you work with and work for so that you have one within your organization that meets the compliance requirements of the the more broader umbrella organization that all the the electric suppliers and transmission folks have to comply with the NERC SIP. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. So and and you mentioned I mean you mentioned policy, you mentioned training when we're talking about compliance and and again compliance is something that um, is required across industry. So last year during this class we had a um, a, a young lady who was uh, an SIU accounting grad, and she was uh, a compliance auditor for Deloitte, and and they were dealing with financial compliance, so making sure that there were, you know, different administrative controls on the payment and accounting software systems and procedures to prevent one person from writing a check and another person has to sign that check, so that there's you know a level of oversight and 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 all these things are kind of compliance, um, you know, compliance and, and, and regulation are tools to, to help industry groups try to affect change throughout their industry to bring everybody up to a, at least a minimal standard um, in terms of this case, cybersecurity, right? Um, and, and complying is, is something you must do or you can be sanctioned, right? And what are, what are, what do sanctions <laughs> look like in in your industry yeah the fines are quite elaborate i know that um uh, duke energy was fined it was in the millions uh for not complying uh, properly complying with some low impact criteria of some of their facilities in the north carolina area it's just uh it's something you don't want to you don't want to mess with um it's not like they come in and they find one thing and immediately fine you. You have to, it's up to them to decide. It's up to the auditors when I say them. It, you would have to be blatantly, obviously ignoring the compliance standard in order for them to just define you right away. Um, there's no set law or rule uh, as far as receiving a fine. Um, but you know, if, if you weren't quite right with something that you were doing, you're going to get a compliance violation, but you may not get a fine. You know, so you, you may get, hey, you need to fix this. Like a, a pattern of routine yeah. missing compliance points is going to get you in trouble right. financially. But but anything that you don't comply with, they're going to make a point of. And 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 the 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 reasoning behind the compliance is to protect the organizations, you know, because you you have a you are a cybersecurity specialist for SIPC, but there may be a, a similar company that that supplies and, and transmits powers that doesn't have one, and so the the organization that oversees the the the, the regulation of the the power industry creates this compliance standard so that everybody has at least a minimum set of guidelines and things that they need to do to help protect against cybersecurity incidents, for example, and, and, and cybersecurity is not the only type of compliance. There's tons of different types of compliance, right. but, but these, these directives or these compliance mandates are there to help you guys know, you know, to, to, to kind of 
crowdsource from the people at all the industries, um, all the, the facilities and the companies and the organizations in your industry to kind of crowdsource knowledge to come up with a baseline of things that should be done, you know, 50, 50 items you should do for your particular organization to help you prevent threats from getting through. Because bottom line is nobody in the the generation and transmission industry or the you know power um power industry or or any critical infrastructure wants to get hit by a cyber attack so creating these standards helps reduce that risk and yeah yeah i was gonna say we're also all interconnected so you know you you don't want your neighbor to to be over there not doing anything and then you're securing your system because if their system goes down it's going to cause uh, increase in load on your system, right? And, and cascading, yeah. cascading problems and, and right. outages and stuff like that. So, so that's a good thing for us. You know, a lot of times we think of legislation, rules, regulations. No, no. Sometimes, you know, that, that may be a mantra that, that, that's heard, but those things, if, if done with the right people, uh, kind of spearheading and leading, it can be a real benefit for, um, consumers, um, the industry across the board, but there certainly can be an aspect of kind of, you know, just doing the minimum to get the compliance people off your back. Um, not really putting in forth the effort that is, you know, the behind the drive for compliance. Um, so you, you can get all the good recommendations and, all the mandates and things the compliance people tell you you should do, but you've got to do a good job at implementing it for it to be effective. Right. Yeah. Compliance doesn't equal security, as they say. Um, I would say, too, that as an IT professional, you're going to hate compliance because you have all this meticulous stuff that you have to keep track of and document. But at the same time, you're going to love compliance because if you need to purchase something, you have the ultimate reason. Uh, I need it for compliance. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That security tool you've been asking for, you know, the CIO to give you money for for the last year and a half, finally, because something requires it to, you know, you have a compliance mandate that you have to be able to, to do, and you can't do it without them spending the money. I've, I have leveraged that tactic in the past before (laughs) myself with, with a company I used to work for. Uh, We kept telling people, Hey, you're not supposed to be looking at things that are kind of shady on your web browsers when you're on your lunch breaks. And you'd tell them and you'd tell them and tell them, but you, you know, would keep getting viruses. And then finally, you know, after you have that policy, if you have a policy saying, don't use the internet inappropriately on your break and people just violate it. It's like, there's no point in having any policy, you know, any, right. any, any rules, if nobody's going to take it um, seriously. So, so like you said, you go to the, the people that hold the money and say, this is getting broken. We have to be serious about these people breaking our rules. And now we have to implement a technical solution because you're, you know, you're, your policy saying don't you know don't surf to not suitable for work websites at lunch isn't doing it you need to have technological safeguards and measures to prevent that so i i've i definitely Absolutely. have used that um let's see we got about 10 minutes left um 
why don't you tell us some of the things that you particularly enjoy about your job in the IT industry in general, I guess? Yeah, it's what I have done my entire adult life. Um, I have always enjoyed being around computers, working with computers. The job that I was employed at at the time that I was going to school <clears throat> was a great job, but I had kind of hit the ceiling. Uh, I wasn't really going anywhere. I really lucked out when I landed here. To be quite honest with you, when I first heard about this job, I was just going to kind of like pass it up because who wants to work in a nasty power plant, right? Um, but after I got here, I was really glad that I took it. I got me a nice little, little room here, a nice little office. Um, I'm in a building that there are only 13 people in, um, kind of off the beaten path. Uh, so it's, it's really quiet. I'd say on any given day, there's probably only two or three people in here, um, just because a lot of them work in the field. Uh, so, so I have that going for me. I have this nice, quiet place to work. I'm basically by myself. I have a full kitchen in there for, for, for access. I have shower facilities um, and employers really easy to work for. Uh, you know, if I need to, uh, I don't know, run to the doctor or something, it's not a big deal. I can, I can run to the doctor. Now, on the same side of that, if something happens at night or over the weekend, I'm, you know, I'm it, I'm getting a call. Uh, and then I better drop what I'm doing and get, get here if it's critical enough. And I've, I've had a few situations like that, but I don't mind it. Um, I think any IT job you get, you're going to have a little bit of an element of, uh, of on-call duty that you're going to have to fulfill. Um, so, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but, but yeah, we have a, we have a 30 minute criteria that we have to meet. So we can't be down longer than 30 minutes. <clears throat> so I live in West Frankfurt. You can imagine it's uh, it's kind of difficult to get down here and fix something in 30 minutes, but I've done it before. You can do it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I've I've always enjoyed the, the technical field. It's what I do as a hobby. Uh, I do it after hours. And I would say that if you're going to work in this field in IT or cybersecurity, if you want to be really good at your job, you're going to have to spend some time at home on your own time in your own lab learning whatever the next technology or something that you don't quite grasp. Um, and, and the people that do that seem to do very well in this industry. So uh, don't think that, you know, when you walk out the door of SIU and you have your diploma in your hand that you're done, I highly recommend that you continue to work on your education, be it certifications or your master's or, or whatever. Uh, you know, keep, keep learning. Uh, this, this technology is changing every day. And I'd also recommend trying to stay on top of where your industry is going. So if you work for a hospital, keep, keep track of where the medical industry is going, you know, or water, make sure you know where the water industry is going as far as an IT standpoint. Uh, so you can kind of stay on top of where uh, the technology is headed. Uh, so, you know, like I said, this is not a this is not an eight to eight to five or nine to five job that you're going to come in, do, go home, and forget about. And, and that's what I think is so <clears throat> neat about about this this class this summer is we're going to hear so many of those different types of jobs and how they're you know how how one might be perfect for this type of person and another for this type of person and being on call never having to come into the office you know there's just so much that that covid has done for the better in most cases i think 
in terms of flexibility and, and changing or evolving the IT job, um, you know, the, 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 this typical job, I guess, and, and across the IT field. Um, I have, uh, does anybody here have any questions for, for Matt before I wrap up with my, my five first ever five questions from Tom, which I'm kind of stealing after the security weekly Paul's yeah, I've tried to where I heard that before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm stealing that too. Uh, right. Inspiration go to Paul Asadorian and, and the folks from Security Weekly. I have five different questions. So, so anybody have any questions for 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 Matt first? Raise your hand or thumbs up or anything. Hey, I see some familiar names. Ky Kyler, hey, are you? Do you have a question or just thumbsing up? That's fine. I, I have a question. Have at it. You've got Matt. Uh, so, Matt, do you see yourself working at any other business or are you going to stay where you are? You know, that's, that's interesting that you asked that because I actually thought about that as Tom was talking. I am in a position now where I really would not consider working anywhere else other than another power utility. And I actually would try to work for another power cooperative before I would try to work for an investor owned utility such as an Ameren or ComEd. Cool. Um, do I picture myself leaving this job in particular with my involvement at SIU and being right here and being able to run over to SIU if I need to is, is, is a big bonus for me and I really don't have a reason to leave. Um, this, this organization has really good benefits. Uh, they're currently paying for my PhD and they, they have already provided the, the funding for my master's. Uh, so um, it's a good organization. I've got a nice place to work, nice environment to work in and, and good people to work with. Uh, so no, I don't, I don't see myself leaving anytime soon. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Throw a hand up in the zoom or shout out, or if not. And I'm in Southern Illinois. It's a great place, great place it, to be home, right? It is a great place to be. Yes, it is. Yeah. So every, every morning, when my alarm goes off at 5.30 and I turn on my lights, I, th I think that's Matt Nicklin keeping my that's lights right. turning that's on right. for me so I can make <laughs> coffee for my wife. That's exactly right. Uh, okay, so let's, um, let's, let's try these top or these, these five questions with Tom. So Matt, uh, what is your favorite thing to eat? What's your oh. favorite food, restaurant or whatever? I'm a veg head, so um, favorite favorite restaurant quattro's gotta have the uh, mexican taco pizza there gotcha okay yeah. so quattro's in there matt's matthew's showing his quattro's cup in the zoom window hey awesome very, awesome. very cool yeah i i saw i saw matt nicklin here yeah. at quattro's the other day when i was when i was eating dinner kid free while my kids were at camp with my wife i noticed was, you were kid free we yeah, were too. they were out they were out at camp all week long it was awesome Nice. Um, okay, so do you have a favorite book, podcast, movie, TV show that features technology or is about technology, IT industry, anything like that? Jack Resider, Darknet Diaries. Darknet Diaries. Okay. Yeah, listen to that podcast all the time. That is a good one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep track of these and post them up on D2L for people as a running resource, uh, along with pictures of Quattro's Pizza. Um. 
Is there a tech that you would, technology that you'd like to learn about in the near future for work, for personal, anything you'd like to I, particularly learn more about? Yeah, I'm, I'm currently trying to learn more about the Schweitzer RTU units and their industrial controls just because that's what we use and I'm, I'm wanting to understand those better. Um, so I'm actively looking on eBay for a used Schweitzer RTU that I can bring home and play with. Uh, but I'm trying to learn more of the, um, the industrial control portion. I feel like I've got the IT portion pretty well covered. Just kind of looking to venture off into the, the hardware portion a little bit more. All right. On the flip side, is there any type of technology, anything that you would like to see get, disappear and go away forever? Ooh, disappear and go away forever. Man, I can't think of anything right now. Server 2008 needs to go away. I keep running into that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I you got me on that one. That's a good one. Okay. And you kind of mentioned a little bit, but if money was no option and you could do anything you want and retire today and move on to do whatever you want, technology-wise, otherwise, career, travel, what would you do? Ooh, that's tough because I enjoy the teaching aspect just as much as I do working. And I've thought about this a lot. I think that I like the combination of the two because I can bring real world experience back to the classroom. So I wouldn't choose one or the other, but the job, the two jobs that I currently have are my dream jobs. So you have no interest in retiring and moving off to Argentina or something like that? No, not really. I mean, I'm a big fan of North Carolina just because they have mountains and ocean at the same time, but I, okay. probably, I probably won't go anywhere. Okay. Any last words of advice for students who are in their bachelor's degree, maybe getting close to finishing, getting ready to start looking for a career? Finish that degree. Okay. Hey, and try to combine your class with a, with a certification when you can. You know, it's going to require a little extra studying, but uh, you're going to be a step ahead of, of those who didn't earn those certifications while they were going to school. But finish your degree. My employer would not even consider you without a bachelor's degree. And, and that is something that you will find. There are employers um, that, that simply won't hire you without that degree. It's, it's kind of a, uh, a, you know, a door opener um, for certain industries, certain jobs. I mean, that is not to say that you can't get a fun, rewarding, and sometimes well-paying job with an associate's degree or none, but by and large, from what I've seen, you want to work for these big companies that do lots of neat stuff. Um, you know, they want the people because the degree shows that you've learned something, but it also shows that you can finish something, um, something big and something important. And that means a lot too. Um, awesome. So it's one o'clock now. So we've had you for an hour, Matt. Um, cool. Thank you very much. This has oh, been a lot you. of fun. Uh, hopefully I uh, have some, some good recording here that you'll be my first podcast episode and I'll put that up there and uh, it'll be an hour long. So you can listen to half of it on your way to an emergency at work in 30 minutes and the other <laughs> half on your way back. Perfect. That works. All right. I All right.